0: Last week, we began a journey called From Redemption to Recycling. We are taking a number of weeks, the next 11 weeks or so, to walk through a litany of different subjects and topics that have really risen to the top. We're a community that's pretty committed to the scriptures and walking through letters and books of the Bible, but we've just been sensing the last little while that um, it's really important that we talk about some of the things that are Uh, really pressing in our cultural moment. I said this last week. I'm not going to repeat a lot of what we talked about last week, but I recently heard a podcast, and somebody said, if you don't want controversy, then go to church on Sunday. And their point was kind of, you know, go to the safe little church on Sunday morning if you don't really want to talk about the real stuff of life. And yet we all know if you're sitting in this room and you're breathing in the cultural air that we breathe, that we have all sorts of questions about all sorts of things that the scriptures lead us to. And we need, I think, actually, in this moment in the life of our church, really press in and uh, press into this. And so we've taken a long list of things that we're going to be talking about, and uh, I think it's going to be really good. So we did a bit of an introduction last week. This is not, I hate self-promotion, but if you missed last week, we set some ground rules in how we're going to approach this stuff, and I think it was a really healthy way of starting as we talked about gospel, kingdom, salvation, and church. And now this morning, we're going to talk about hell and judgment. Thank you so much for coming. Let's pray. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to talk about hell and judgment and what does this mean for us. So, um, you know, sometimes when we open up the teachings, we go right to a text. I want you to bear with me this morning. Um, what we're going to do is kind of set a bit of groundwork and look in totality at what, what is hell. A lot of people have questions about this. And also look at what, what does judgment mean? because we paint these things as fairly negative things in our culture and especially in our moment. But what is like anybody have questions about what this actually means? I think there's many people I rub shoulders with both in the church and out that have questions around this. And at the end of it, Mark is all going to Mark is going to buy everybody here a mint smoothie, okay? So you just see him after and it'll be good, all right? When we talk about hell, when we talk about hell and judgment, um I think for most of us in the Western world, we've pushed into a problematic story. Here's a little diagram that I think is helpful by a guy named uh, Joshua Butler, Joshua Ryan Butler. You know, in the West, uh, post the Enlightenment, post kind of the evangelical revolution that took place in the 20th century, a lot of people have pressed into the problematic story of heaven and hell. A lot of us in this room um, often think that heaven and hell are counterparts. You know, heaven and hell, we get actually um, a picture in the scriptures that they're not as much counterparts as we think. And so sometimes we kind of press into this problematic story that like our eternity is going to be one or the other. I'm either going to go, to, I'm going to live, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to heaven, or I'm going to go to hell. And it's interesting how the scriptures talk about this because. Actually, when you open up the pages of the creation story, you begin to see that it's actually heaven and earth that are together. In the garden, heaven and earth are created by God and God's space and human space are together. It's what we see in the Garden of Eden, the Hebrew creation story that we have. It gives us a picture that God's space and human space are together. God is walking with humans in the cool of the day and these humans that were created in the image of God are to be these ones that live and reflect his love and light in the world. And we know that that story, we have to talk about that story because through rebellion, And through humans going their own direction and going their own way, they're drawn into sin and rebellion. And because of that, the world as we know it bursts and is torn apart at the seams. The destructive powers of sin and death and hell now in this world are all all around us. And one of the things we forget is that God is actually on a mission not just to reconcile souls and to get souls into heaven, the actual mission of God, and that's part of it, please don't hear me wrong, but actually the mission of God is to bring heaven back to earth like it was in the garden. So you have these, the early creation account, heaven and earth are together, torn apart, and what God is on a mission to do is probably the more gospel story, is that hell is actually a current reality on our earth. And the story is, and you get this all over the place, especially in Revelation 21 and 22, the end note of the story is that heaven is coming where? Here. So don't buy into kind of like the, a lot of people buy into like heaven is going to be disembodied spirits. We're kind of going to be floating around. the, The gospel story is Jesus' work, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all culminates in him being Israel's messiah but then in the end as he returns he's bringing heaven to earth and hell is going to be rid of. Isaiah picks up on this that there'll be no more tears and destruction and injustice and all these things. And my my fear is that a lot of people kind of get into the problematic story. Well where are you going? Heaven or hell? And not that those things aren't important, but it's interesting you want to know how many times heaven and hell are used in the scriptures together? So if you were to go to BibleGateway.com and if you wanted hell and heaven in the same verse, guess how many times if you were to do a little search in Bible Gateway, guess how many times heaven and hell would be together? Zero. zip, Zippo. Heaven and hell are not counterparts. Now, if you do the same study and same search with heaven and earth, you get just about 200 times. And so... Friends, when we talk about this, my hope is is that we don't lose this story. We do not lose in our minds, in our hearts, as guys, as we sang these songs this morning, there is this anticipation that God's kingdom has been inaugurated, but God is on a mission to rid the world of injustice. And so (laughs) you come into a contemporary church on a Sunday morning, so many great churches in this city and beyond. And you come in and you sing songs about God's love and how beautiful he is. And then at some point, people begin to deal and wrestle through their minds and and wrestle in their minds and hearts with hell and judgment. Like we sing these beautiful songs. And then on the other side is, does God have a sadistic side? Are there skeletons, you know, these skeletons that you eventually find when you begin following God, are there skeletons in God's closet. And when we get to this particular subject, people think oftentimes they come to a position that God is not good or worthy of our trust because of this idea of hell. And I I get it. It's hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around this. A guy named John Stuart Mill, he said this, I would rather go to hell than to heaven with a God who sends people there. And I would say, I mean, if you rub shoulders with anybody outside the church, there are a lot of people that would kind of press into this same idea. And for a lot of people, it calls Christianity into question. So we sing about God's reckless love and his beauty and his mercy, and then we have this whole, is this a skeleton in God's closet? I think the best way to do this for us and to come around the idea of hell is to ask a few counter questions. I think the best way, like, how can a loving, people will ask, how can a loving God send people to hell? What I want to do for a couple minutes is just push back, because I think this is actually the Jesus way, and this is really a way that Jesus did it. I just want to ask some questions back to that. Is that okay? Is that all right? Nod your head with me. You seem quiet this morning. I know Michigan had the bye yesterday. It was kind of like a lull day. They'll be back. It's all good. I know none of you, none of you care. None of you care. It's okay. And you're like, Michigan, it's football, and it's great, and you should try it. You can come to my house and watch. It would be great. Um, let's ask a few questions back to this idea of how can a loving God send people to hell? Now, I'll just... Uh, say this, I want to give credit where credit is due. These are actually questions shaped by another guy. He's a Brit. His name is Andrew Wilson. So if you've heard this, you're like, hey, these are things that I've developed in what Andrew Wilson has asked when it comes to hell. So how can a loving God send people to hell? The question back would be, what do you think hell is? Like, what do you think hell is anyways? Anyways, if I were to ask here, for, if just hand out paper and pens and kind of do a little, um, little study and get you to scribble and draw, it would be interesting to see some of the things that we would write down if we talked about hell. I think for some of us, we would think of fire or torment. I can't tell you how many people that think hell is a torture chamber. Like flames would probably be the first thing for many of us in this room when we talk about hell. And for a lot of people, people think God is ultimately a sadistic torturer. We think of hell as an underground torture chamber. John Paul Sartre says this interesting ideas around hell. He says this hell is other people. <laughs> now don't agree with that. All right, please. C.S. Lewis said this a great picture in his book uh, The Great Divorce. He speaks of hell almost like the suburbs, like a gray suburban sprawl that moves further and further into isolation where there's a deep lack of community. That was kind of Lewis's idea. Jim Carrey says this. He says, hell is having to listen to our grandparents breathing through their noses when eating sandwiches. And it could, maybe, yeah, maybe it sounds, that sounds like it, maybe, maybe not. So we often, in our context, paint a more realistic picture and view of hell than we do heaven. But what do the scriptures say? Like when the Bible talks, you know, some of you are like are internally, I know maybe not externally, but some of you are internally surprised this morning to hear that heaven and hell are never used in the same verse together. My question is, what does the Bible say? There's uh, two, I'm just going to talk about two primary words for hell in the scriptures that we just, I want to look at really quickly. One of these words is shoal or hades. Um, Maybe you've heard this, uh, oftentimes in the New Testament it talks about death and Hades. Um, Actually, Hades is the translation from the Greek word shoal, which um, a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their mind around, but most people believe that this is the place of the dead. What's interesting is that when this word appears in the New Testament, it has little, if any, relation to the afterlife or uh, afterlife punishment and rewards when it's used in the scripture. So this this word Hades, or what was translated from Sheol in the Old Testament, is a word. But the primary word that the, especially Jesus, if you just want to look at the life and teachings of Jesus, the primary word that Jesus used for hell was this word Gehenna. Can you say Gehenna with me? Gehenna. Gehenna. Now, Jesus used this word often. It's used twelve times in the New Testament. Uh, we're big on the Sermon on the Mount here as really the center point of Jesus' teachings and I, we really encourage people to read through the Sermon on the Mount. So when Jesus talks about murder and he says this, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell, he's using this word Gehenna. Or when he talks about lust, he says if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into And the Greek word used in the text is this word, Gehenna. So if Gehenna is the word that Jesus primarily used, what do you think we should look at? Gehenna, what 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 is this? Gehenna is a Greek translation of something called the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was a legitimate, like an actual real valley just outside the city gates of Jerusalem, I think to the southeast side of Jerusalem, it has the Valley of Hinnom. If you read about it, and this is why we don't just throw out the Old Testament. There's so much in there that helps with concepts and ideas about the kingdom and what Jesus is talking about. If you do a study of the Valley of Hinnom in the Old Testament, you begin to see it has a dark history. Anytime the Valley of Hinnom is referenced, it's either talking about, one, it being a place of idolatry, basically where Israel went to worship other gods and give themselves to other gods. This was the place of the Valley of Hinnom. This is where they went. Or it was a place of child sacrifice. You're like, what? Yeah, yeah. The Valley of Hinnom was actually a place where, if you know the story of Israel's kings, it started pretty good with a guy named David, and it began to spin out of control. And at one point in history, the Judean kings of Israel Um, looked to the pagan practices of other nations around them and child sacrifice was a part of it. And so they created this place and they went to this place called the Valley of Hinnom, which we translate Gehenna, and that is where child sacrifice happened and where worship to other gods happened. Are you with me? you hanging in there. Horrible. A legit legit place and uh, a part of Israel and especially Jerusalem's history. So for the rabbis, Gehenna was a place and a destination for the wicked. When the rabbis talked about this, this was a horrible place of idolatry and pain and suffering. Here's one example, Jeremiah 7. You can turn there with me if you want. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, verse 30, just so we get a picture. It says this, The people of Judah, God says, have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name, and they've defiled it. They have built the high places of Topeth, which is like a vision of fire, in where? In the valley, of course, of Hinnom, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire. Something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topeth, sorry, or the valley of Ben-Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they will bury the dead in Topeth until there is no more room. So God's like, man, you're not followed. This is not my will, my plan. You're taking ancient Babylonian practices and you're doing this. And it gives us a little bit of shaping and a frame in our mind of what the Valley of Hinnom was. I know you're just so thankful for coming this morning. I know, it's just really uplifting stuff. You know, God has a plan for your life and he does, but we're talking about hell and judgment. Isaiah 66 can you laugh? Can we just do a collective laugh here? You're making me nervous. I'm sweating under my arms now. I know this is not fun to talk about, but I promise you there is payoff coming, okay? I promise you. Isaiah 66 gives a future picture of the new earth, a future unfolding of what God is going to do when he comes to save. It says this about the new heavens and the new earth. This is way before Jesus too, by the way. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and des- descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Some people are like, the Bible's really cool. You should read the Bible. I actually just started a journey with my 11-year-old daughter reading through the Bible. And you just realize on page one, you get into some gnarly stuff. We got dead bodies here. Just to remind you that the Bible is not all clean and maybe as clean as we think. They will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all of mankind. So the picture here you get from the prophet is this. All the nations are going to come and worship Jesus in Jerusalem. That's the picture of the new earth. That's what we're going to get. And as they come, The picture here is they look out and they see piles of dead bodies of the empires and the people that have come against Yahweh and his people. Notice here, it's not living people being eaten by worms or burned alive. It's describing an attack on God's city that does not work. It's rebellion against God. This is how actually divine judgment works. It's not, guys, uh, it's not continuous torture. Gehenna was this, Gehenna was a a valley, a real place in Jerusalem's backyard outside the city filled with idolatry and child sacrifice. Please hear me, the flames in Gehenna, the Gehenna that Jesus references, were always self-inflicted and lit by human hands. Self-infliction. The people are killing their kids and they are going to sleep at night And for the prophets, Gehenna became the center of idolatry, injustice of what's wrong in Jerusalem and in the world as a whole. And the hope of the prophets was that God was going to return one day as the good king and to redeem Israel and kick out the rebellious destructive powers outside the city. Listen, I love Joshua Ryan Butler. This is what he would say. Hell's destructive powers are put outside the city because it stands opposed to the good and redemptive things God wants to do inside the city. So some have commented that maybe Gehenna was a garbage dump. I, you know, some commentators, contemporary commentators, maybe there's, I was digging around the last couple weeks, maybe not, there's not con- consensus on this, but it was a place of idolatry, and it was, in this passage it looks like, there was a place where bodies were literally piled up outside the city when when the enemies of Jerusalem and the enemies of Yahweh tried to attack him. So, is hell a fire, like endless fire and a torture chamber? Not as much as God bringing judgment on the nations of those who oppose him. And we see a picture of the destruction that opposes God rather than a gleeful God, which many people have in their head. Rather than a gleeful God, like with a pitchfork, like pushing people into burning flames... Instead of the enduring torture chamber, we get that this idea of hell is outside the city and it is lit by human hands. And this is not fun to talk about, but I think a correction in our mind, in our hearts around this is really, really important. All right. So some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, I get it. I've heard this before. There was a place outside Jerusalem, Gehenna. Some of you have been Bible people forever. You're like, this is like really rudimentary. This is not a big deal. But you're maybe thinking, but what about people's, because this is what people think about. What about people's eternal destinies? Is it legit? Is how legit? And where do people end up? I'll say this, when we started this series last week, we talked about how we don't have enough time to talk about everything we need to talk about, and we're using midweek podcasts throughout the week like we did last week to kind of go deeper. And so there are three primary, and there's more, but there's three primary pictures or views of hell and final uh, punishment. We're not going to talk as much about these here. What I'm going to do on Wednesday is release a little bit of a podcast where we will outline in deeper ways The three general Christian positions on hell. So if you're into that and you want to know more, because this is typically what people are asking, then we're going to talk about it. But I'll just say this. There are three primary positions. There's the traditional position of eternal conscious torment. So any time from Augustine, the church father Augustine on, is when this idea of eternal conscious torment really became a mainstay in uh, the church. And it has been the traditional view where hell is eternal, it's conscious, and it's torment. I think the name speaks for itself. But over the last number of years, a a different position, all of these are, by the way, people would say are biblical positions and people who love Jesus would would argue over over these things. The idea of terminal punishment has come up in recent years and it's gotten some steam. Uh, Maybe you've heard it as annihilationalism or conditional immortality. And it's basically the view that immortality, life forever, is a gift from God, and God will grant it only to those who meet his condition of being saved by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. So those who are not saved by faith will be resurrected into judgment and denied ongoing life or any sort of being. In the end, the unrighteous will be destroyed. This may include temporary suffering, um, and this has become a more legitimate posture for a lot of people that immortality isn't just for those who are in Christ and those who are not. There will be an end. There will be an annihilation or a uh, destruction in the end. Um, I'll just say... I'm going to give you a little teaser. I think you should listen to the midweek podcast. People ask me this, where I stand with this all the time, and I'm really hesitant, but I'll say this. This is like a total radio teaser. Listen on Wednesday, and I'll share some of the differing things in the, some of the areas that I've changed in, in this, because I actually think, um, not, not such a great t- teaser. I know in radio, you're supposed to tease people, and after the break, you can listen to this. Um, I have begun to see that this idea of conditional immortality, when the Bible speaks of the wages of sin being death, death typically means death. Anyways, I'm probably giving it away, but anyways. And then the third position is Christian universalism, which some buy into where everyone, both the righteous and unrighteous, live forever. Um, and But the, uh, the idea with this position is that there'll be universal reconciliation It believes that human beings will ultimately be saved and restored to relationship with God and that there's some sort of purifying process in in the process of all this. And Christians believe all of these these things. And so we'll talk about these things more and give some more time to it because I think if you're uh, thinking and wrestling through it, I think it's really important. And a great book has come out the last little while by Zondervan called The Four Views. It's edited by a guy named uh, Preston Sprinkle who's a really solid thinker and uh, he gets people to argue Argue from each of these positions. And I think, you know, wrestling through this is quite important. You with me? Hanging in there, nod your head. You okay? So how could a loving God send people to hell? My question back would be, what do you think hell is? It appears to me that it's out, it's outside the city. It's a place outside of God's redeemed city. We're not Leaning into a problematic story. We're leaning to the gospel story that says heaven is coming to earth and all the hell that we see around us needs to be rid of. But the second question I would ask back if somebody were to say, Hey, how can a good and loving God send people to hell? I would ask this question back How could He not? How could He not? Now, please hang with me, brothers and sisters. But I think this ties into what our view of hell is. How could God not let what's happening in our world happen? How could he let evil roam his good creation forever? I'll just say this. If God loves the world, as we see all over, it's dripping off the pages of scripture, he's gonna do whatever he can do to protect it. There's There's an idea in the scripture That there will be a day when God will exile hell from earth. Have you guys thought about hell as exile? Because this is the big thing. I think now, as you read through from Genesis to Revelation, this has just lit up for me. Have you thought about hell as God's protection? We don't talk about this in our rational, so is God sending people and is he mad and he's going to send people here and there? What if we thought of hell and the removal of this kind of thing from God's good planet? As God protecting us. Because ultimately, think with me, this is what loving people do, right? So I have four young kids and our house is a gong show. You should come over and hang out sometime. It's fun. And I love them very much. And we just did reno a few years ago and we had a blast doing a reno. But imagine for a second if there was mold, like we move in and we have no clue we didn't, this was a time where you didn't even do home inspections because the market was so hot. You weren't even, they wouldn't even have taken the, the bid if, if we did a home inspection. And we move in and there is mold just all over the walls and closets of my kids', kids bedrooms. As a good father, what do I do? Guys, I get, I get rid of the mold. I get rid of the mold. And this is what our good father But God is going to rid the world of evil and injustice. Just like a gardener picks out the weeds, or just like if you had fresh bread and there was mold in it, you take it out. I think, go go back to the diagram again. I think one of the things that, and Joshua Ryan Butler, he talks about this, that God's mission, and it's a play on words, God's mission is to get the hell out of earth. I love that. God's mission, ultimate mission, is to get the hell. You see what I did there? See what he did there? That's funny, no? Okay, maybe not tough crowd. You put put hell in judgment on social media and everybody's like quiet and that's okay. God's on a mission to get the hell out of earth. And hell is a present reality. And God's going to bring heaven to earth and get the hell out of earth. And the vision of new creation is that heaven is coming here. And so I just want us to be open that how could a good and loving God send people to hell? How could, would God really be good if he, now, there's beauty all over the place. I think of a Sunday morning when we get together under the rule and reign of God. There's something beautiful. God's kingdom is alive. But have you watched the news recently, like in the last 24-hour news cycle? Like, do you see from improper politics to the sex slave? We're going to have an emphasis through IJM next week, just bringing some awareness around the sex industry and the sex slave uh, slavery that's going on around the world. More people in slavery than ever. Does a good and lo- like we talk as though, how could God send people to hell? How could a loving God let this kind of thing go on forever? I'm just here to tell you, he's not. He's not, evil may roam our good world right now, but it will not forever. And how could he not deal and do, like a good, like me as a good father, I'm, you know, there's mold here, but you know what, kids? Just deal with it. You can just deal with it for a little bit. Is that a good father on my end? Absolutely not. How could he not? Now here's the problem. What we don't like about this particular idea, and I get it, is that we could be the mold. So we have a hard time envisioning that, and I do too, I have a hard time envisioning that I'm the weed in the garden. And here's the thing, for everything, for the entire story to make sense, we can't avoid talking about sin. Me, the mold? Well, the scriptures would say, yeah. We need to understand that evil isn't just out there, and I'm talking about myself, you can wrestle with this on your own, evil is in here apart from Jesus, right? And I just know, if God were to get rid of everything else on earth that was bad and leave me, Drew Fess, in it unsaved, I know myself, I would destroy it on my own. Right? So we had this, and and can, can somebody give me an amen to your own life? Like, if I had this whole thing on my own, in my own strength, and in my own selfishness, I would screw it up. And, Humans had good reign of this world with God, and we messed it up. And so I know Ebola is like years ago now when this was scary to people. But if I had Ebola and I was in this room, would you want me in this room? Oh, you guys are so, you're not inclusive at all. Come on, man. So judgmental. What is the best thing that you would do with me? You would separate me? You'd get me into quarantine and vaccinate, or vaccinate, get me uh, to take a vaccine? And... I just think if I'm infected with this, you would want me outside of this room and in quarantine. And if I'm infected, when we talk about sin, a loving God has to protect you from me. And this was the solution in the scriptures. The solution to this was Jesus, who covers our sin and brings us in and redeems us. And so one of the things we have to grapple through when it comes to this idea of how could a good and loving God send people to hell, how, how could he not? He has to do, and his pr- His promises is, is to rid the world of injustice. And for if we're not under his love, that can mean me if I don't come to his rule and reign. So how could he not? How could he not separate hell from this earth? So if a good and loving God, how could a good and loving God send people to hell? Well, what is hell? Question two, how could he not? And then I would just pose one final question, and it's this. How could a good and loving God send people to hell? If hell or life without God is what we want, then what could be fairer than that? Right? So if life apart from God is what ultimately what people want, I don't mean this in a judgmental way at all, but I think this is a beautiful way of looking at in light of f- having a will and having free will. If life apart from God is what we want, then isn't God not fair, right? Hell is what we choose. I don't think God is joyously picking some and then not others from the foundation of the earth and you go to hell and you don't. I think God through the gospel and through his son has invited all of us in and there will be people that will lean in and want to join in in God's kingdom in the new earth and there will be people that want life apart from God and this is how good God is. He lets you have it. God, in essence, is love, and he'll give people what they want forever. That's how good he is. Andrew Wilson says the wrath of God is most terrifyingly expressed when we get what we ask for, right? It's like a heroin addict or an alcoholic. The most destructive thing is to give them what they want or ask for. Hell is, I think C.S. Lewis put it best, is locked from the inside. It's giving people, if you want a life without my presence, without my joy, without my kingdom, God is not going to stiff-arm people and like DDT people into his kingdom. He's going to let people choose what they, what, they're, what they want. Hell is the future we've already chosen for ourselves, just ratified by God. And this, this lines up really well with judgment, because are we okay? We all, we all get to make judgments in this room, and God ultimately gets to make judgments. He's loving. He's just. And if people want life apart from him, then that will be an option. And can I just say, we have glimpses of the kingdom of God right now in our present moment, but just think about God's presence being removed. Right? I'm not here to scare you, but like, think of our own moment right now in the world with a lot of the injustices, and the church is here, and God's presence is here. Imagine when that is removed and moved outside the city of God. Think about how terrifying humans are in their own hands. I mean, we see it all, all around us. Just think, God ultimately will give people what they want. Tim Keller says it like this, hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God's on a trajectory into infinity. We see this process in the addictions to drugs, alcohol, gambling, and pornography. First, there is disintegration because as time goes on, you need more and more of the addictive substance to get an equal kick, which leads to less and less satisfaction. Second, There is the isolation, and increasingly you blame others and circumstances in order to justify your behavior. When we build our lives on anything except God, that thing becomes an enslaving addiction, something we have to have to be happy. Personal disintegration happens on a broader scale. In eternity, this disintegration goes on forever." And so the images of hell in scripture that oftentimes we talk about, death and fire and weeping, and I've heard people talk about gnashing of teeth and darkness, are ways of describing the disintegration of the self that takes place when you put something other than God at the center. You following me? This is what, if we choose life without God, God is so loving and just, I think he'll give it to us. He'll give us what we want. And this is where hell actually falls into the good news story, because God is not going to let evil roam our good cre- this good world forever, and hell is an eternity of being satisfied by me being handed over to what I ask for. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you were still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop, but there may come a day when you can no longer. Then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just, to, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. If you want a life in an eternity without God, you can have it. And my prayer for us, as we wrestle through this, is God has a right to bring judgment because God wants to rid this good world of all its injustices. And my prayer for our community, I know this is not easy to talk about, and we will talk more in depth about these different differing positions, but my prayer in all of this is that we would let God heal us, Just as the mold in a bedroom would be removed, God is going to see his work at hand. But one of the things I wanna call us into is a life that lives under Jesus and his righteousness. The way into God's kingdom, the city that is promised that will never end is through repentance and faith, from turning from ourself, doing a 180, and putting our allegiance in Jesus. And so brothers and sisters, I'll just say this. Again, I know this is not easy. Hell, I do not think, is an underground place. I think the Bible speaks of it as outside the city. My prayer for you as you listen on is that you would join in on God's kingdom. You would join in on his city. I'll also say that I don't think the purpose of hell is torture. The purpose of hell is protection. This is how good God is. This is how good his love is. And so, for some... They've been saying and speaking of hell as God's mercy and judgment as God's hope. And if you are with God and on his side, then that resonates because you you go, yeah, God, we can't can't live in what we're living in forever. You have to bring your, you have to come. We long for God's healing on this planet. And that healing begins and starts with us. And so somebody brings up, hey, you serve a God that's, you know, a little sadistic and just waiting to send people to a certain place. I would just push back and say, this is actually for the protection of God's people and the world. And, you know, as we read the Psalms, I've been through this reading plan reading the Psalms with Ava, and it's just interesting how the psalmists are always, they're just raw and real, speaking about God's protection and his life. Even as Israel's enemies are coming against them, I'm just telling you the story. The telos of this whole thing is that this day, that day will end. There will be no more enemies. There will be no more sin crouching at our door. God is going to renew this world. And this is what we got to keep at the center. You with me?